In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. A couple weeks ago, we were at Westminster Abbey, and Jenny and I had the chance to go and walk into the chapel of King Edward the Confessor. Now, there are 30 kings and queens of England that are buried in his chapel. But what do we remember about Edward the Confessor? Let me just quote from the Abbey's website. Edward had not been a particularly successful king, but his personal character and piety endeared him to his people. In appearance, he's a tall, dignified, kindly man with rosy cheeks and a long white beard. A confessor is a particular type of saint. The term applies to those who suffered for their faith and demonstrated their sanctity in the face of worldly temptations, but who were not martyrs. Now imagine that. A political leader who was considered such an example of faith, soon after his death, they just make him a saint automatically. He didn't wait long. Jeremiah writes, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Now Jeremiah here is writing about the princes and the king of his country. Now remember, Jeremiah is a priest serving in the temple. He's not a shepherd. He's not someone you know, living out in the hinterlands who never sees the king. He's living in Jerusalem. So he's had the opportunity, if nothing else, than of worship to observe the king and his family up pretty close. And notice, Jeremiah doesn't object to the way God describes them here. Sometimes in the Bible, God says something, and the person he's talking to will say, you know, God, have a little bit more mercy, right? God tells Moses on, on Mount Sinai, listen, those people that you brought out of Egypt with you, how about if we just wipe them out and we start over again, me and you, Moses? And Moses says, God, I don't think we want to do that. Have mercy. But Jeremiah doesn't object. But then, after speaking about the reality of the situation that they're in, God begins to lay out hope. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands that I have driven them and bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. God's not simply judging his people and casting them out into darkness and leaving them on their own. No, when he sends them out, he gives them the promise of redemption to go with the judgment that they're facing. But he has an even better promise for his people. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I'll rise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. God promises to send a righteous king, one from the righteous branch of David, that same branch of his people that he's now calling out. The people that God is calling out in this passage are Jesus' earthly forebearers. And God's calling them into judgment as bad shepherds. There is great, great, greats on his mother's side. But there's someone coming who will execute justice and righteousness the way a ruler should. And not like Edward the Confessor, and I could probably name one or two of our presidents here, who are people that we revere as godly men, but lousy rulers. No, he's a ruler that's going to do what he's supposed to do, but not in a self-righteous or self-interested way. Not in a way meant to show up the other side. No, someone whose very name will mean the Lord is our righteousness. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Now, many of the Psalms have superscriptions in them. 
The superscriptions are those little pieces of verses that often start them to tell us who wrote them or when or what tune to use. We don't normally read them for the same reason we don't normally read the information we have about the hymns and songs when we sing them. It's interesting. If you're a musician or a singer, it's helpful. But focusing on that information can take us right out of what we're supposed to be doing, worshiping God. But I want to read the superscription of Psalm 46 this morning. It says this. For the choir director, a song of the sons of Korah, set to Alamoth, a song. Now, we have no idea what that means about Alamoth. It's a tune. We don't know what it sounds like. But the sons of Korah, we know who they are. They're Levites. At this time, they're part of the choir at the temple. But their forefather, Korah, Korah rebelled against God in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers tells us that he rebelled against God and those that were with him got swallowed up in the ground by a large earthquake. God spared his children. And Korah's descendants were cousins of Moses and Aaron. They were all from the same tribe. They are all Levites. His children, almost immediately after that, when God starts setting up how the Levites are going to be used in the tabernacle, the sons of Korah are put as the gatekeepers of the tabernacle as it moved around. They were the bouncers. They were the ones that made sure that only the right people were going in. Samuel, the great prophet who appointed the first two kings, Saul and David, he was a son of Korah. But several times in the Psalms, we see the name Sons of Korah as the author of these beautiful hymns and poems to God. Kings and Chronicles and Samuel tells us that sometimes they go out and fight with David. But they always retain the name of their ancestor, whose main claim to fame is rebellion. Let's put it in our context for a bit. Imagine that the descendants of Benedict Arnold became one of the preeminent groups singing songs about the revolution and how much they loved the Continental Congress and George Washington and all the other fine generals of the Continental Army, all while being asked to guard the doors to Congress. It's the sons of Korah who write this chorus for the psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. They write of how they have confidence in God's protection in flood and fire, famine and fighting. They write, saying, It is he who makes war to cease in all the world. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields with fire. Be still then and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the whole earth. They knew of God's redemption. They looked forward to the day when it would experience, be experienced not just by them, but the whole world. Paul writes this morning, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now Paul here gives us one of his wonderful run-on sentences on how he'd like the Colossians to be in Christ. He wants to be, them to be strong in Christ's glorious power, enduring everything with patience, and while that's going on, while they're enduring and being strong, he also wants them to be thankful and joyful. Now that's a whole gamut of emotions. But I want to quote a commentator here. All these characteristics are mentioned with a dual sense of complete and total, strength, endurance, and patience, but also every kind of strength, endurance, and patience. It's not just lots of each of them, but it's every possible variety for every possible circumstance. 
So Paul is praying the believers would have every kind of strength, endurance, patience, joy, and thankfulness while living in this world. And he says that these flow out of their inheritance, right? He writes, he's rescued them from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All of this is completed when we are rescued. When God rescued us, he made us join heirs. Join heirs with Christ. But what we also have available is all of our inheritance. Redemption and forgiveness of sins. But also everything else we need as individuals and as a community to walk on down that road. But then Paul starts to wax a bit poetic. A bit philosophical, theological about the branch that was promised by God in Jeremiah. He writes this. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so he might come to have first place in everything. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. In our gospel this morning we read, When they came to the place that's called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now the king, this righteous branch of David, Jesus, comes and acts exactly the opposite of what we expect the king to do. To finish on Paul's thoughts, we expect our leaders to make peace by doing what? By spilling the blood of his enemies. We want retribution. But Jesus made peace through his blood. An earthly ruler does not say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. First off, successful kings don't die like that. But if they did, what would they be doing? They'd be telling their sons to go out and avenge him and take the throne back. That's what we like in our stories, isn't it? They aren't mocked, at least not for very long. And this king, while dying, is part of one last earthly drama. He's defended by one of the thieves. Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now one of the most ancient Christian understandings of what's happening here, of the theology of atonement, is this. Jesus here is acting like a fishing hook. Jesus is the bait. Why is that? Satan would never willingly give up the claims he has on this sinful world. So the Godhead knew that there had to be a really, really good bit of bait there for this plan to work. Many of you have probably read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You maybe read them to your children or saw the movie. And in it, C.S. Lewis uses, takes this and makes kind of an analogy. makes just pretty much a, a whole cloth representation, right? Aslan the lion has to sacrifice himself to protect Edmund, right? Edmund's gone off with the White Witch, and he's eaten some Turkish delights, and he's betrayed his brothers and his sister, right? And Aslan comes and presents himself to the witch, and she thinks now that she's won. And as she's lecturing Aslan, he says a line that launched a thousand memes. Do not cite the deep magic to me, witch, for I was there when it was written. The witch thinks that by killing Aslan for the mistakes of the child, she's going to win. She tells her henchman that as soon as he's dead, 
None of the children are safe. She's going to take care and kill all of them and have control. And the whole world will be hers. She doesn't realize that what she's doing is what needs to be done for the rescue of everyone. Satan didn't understand that either. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was acknowledging that Satan had taken the bait. And through that bit of arrogance, believing that he'd outplayed God, the thief would join the saints in being rescued from the power of this world and be brought into God's family, his kingdom. The kingdom where his power is used not to control, but to love. This morning is Christ the King Sunday. We look ahead to the day when we're fully in Christ's kingdom. Love should be our watchword as we invite others to meet the one who has rescued us, but has also rescued the sons of Korah, the thief, and all his people in days of old, and wants to rescue the rest of the world as well. So please go out and tell them that. Amen.